You're listening to the Horse Tribe podcast with the founders of Horse Tribe. I'm Fia. And hello, this is Heidi. Each podcast is dedicated to you and your passion for everything horse. We'll be speaking to elite riders, equestrian experts and special guests, all focused on bringing you inspiration, insights and learning in a way that our Horse Tribe will enjoy. Well, in today's Horse Tribe podcast, we are joined by Tricia Nassau-Williams, who is the Lornery Consultant for Beta, as well as their field officer. Now, specialising in bits and bridling, she's a liveryman of the worshipful company of Loriners and has spent many years of her career focusing on the correct betting, bridling and saddling of the horse. Her passion is to improve equine welfare through the support and education of the rider. So we're really looking forward to hearing all about this. Trisha, welcome to the Horse Tribe podcast. Hi Trisha. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, welcome. It's great great to speak to you. Yeah, and you're all the way down in deepest, darkest Hold up country today, aren't you? As we I record am, this, I'm recording this from North Cornwall. Expect, expecting to hear the pounding hooves of a um, dark and swarthy chap galloping past you, but maybe that won't be the case. Probably more like a, a, a pound from a horse called Thomas, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to find out more about Thomas later. Absolutely brilliant. Well, first of all, we're really curious about your career and who Beta are and what the Lorena's company is. Um, but first of all, please tell us about your passion for horses and where it all started for you. Where it all started? Um, well, my father worked at Guy's Hospital uh, in London as a surgeon. So uh, when I was very tiny, we were just not in the country at all. But as soon as I could sort of say, hop and please to do with horses, it, it was there. And I used to go riding as a three-year-old um, and I had a lovely little pony that I rode called Lollipop. Uh, I think somewhere, somewhere there's a city of me holding the riding instructor's hand, cantering along, and my pony's sort of going up and down beneath me, and I'm sort of saying, staying static as we got this headland together. <laughs> but uh, yeah, lollipop. So that was my first equine love, and, and just just sort of adored it. Really, it just was something that was there. Oh, wow. amazing! Did you have it with lollipop one of those cheeky ponies, or did you have a cheeky pony? Oh, well, no, Lollipop was fine. Uh, we then moved down to Kent as my father um, changed jobs. And I was lucky enough that we had a field we could use and I got a pony at the age of eight called Hijinx, who oh. was, he bit one end and he kicked the other. <laughs> and then you couldn't, you couldn't load him and you couldn't catch him. And um, he'd sort of be all right for me. But if my sister got on to do a gymkhana, he would just root himself to the floor. So he was um, a bit of a nightmare in a way, but I did learn an awful lot, put it that way. I learned an awful lot with hijinks, who did tend to live up to his, <laughs> live up to his. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds right like kickle. a very yeah. well-named pony. And yeah. you do learn loads more, don't you, from, from the challenges, I guess. You, you do. You do learn stickability and you do have to learn tolerance because there's no point losing your rag if you can't catch them or you can't load them or you, you know, and you're asking yourself, what is it I'm doing? that's making this happen if it's me <laughs> I think uh, it was just hijinks being a little minky I think he knew I, I don't know um but uh, yeah so I, I think yes you do you you learn if you've got something that's push button it's all done for you perhaps you don't learn as as much as when you 
bite the dust a few times, get up, and then also have to think about how you're working with the horse, how you're handling the horse or the pony, um, and how your mood and interaction, patience, and understanding them a bit more is totally reflective of your end result. So yeah, big learning curve. Absolutely. And also, like you said, learning about them. So accepting that they're all different, just like we are, and they, they like and respond in different ways to different things. Yeah, I think so often, you know, yourselves, you've had a bad day, you're stressed out by something, you go for a ride. And that's the one day that you're really irritated because your horse is jumping at everything and being skittish and so on. And you just say, oh, the one day where I need to have a quiet ride and relax and it's not happening and the reason it's not happening is because you're sitting on top of a horse that can't see you he can only feel you around him and hear your voice and you're giving him that tension through your through your body and your language to him so it's all you know it's not what the horse is doing wrong it's what we're doing wrong mostly isn't it really yeah, yeah absolutely very, very true. and what about some of the other ponies and horses along the way then uh oh, i had various different ponies and did pony club and all that sort of thing and then um I started getting into cross country that I thought was brilliant and I had a Dutch girl to land a warm blood called Rudy who I bought from someone called Alan Holder uh, and he had been a driving horse he'd come over from Holland and he'd been a driving horse I think uh he had the choice of career being a driving horse or a dressage horse and he failed at both <laughs> 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 he had been a wheeler but he was just too much of a personality he wasn't very good at working at a team he kind of did his own thing um but he was the most extraordinary horse to ride for me I'd never sat on anything like it he had huge cadence so the first time I ever rode him I just giggled because I was befronted the movement then I was behind <laughs> the movement I was sort of bouncing around like a ball on a ping pong bat you know um but uh gosh you could jump and I got into doing more cross country and doing stuff I never thought I might do. And uh, then I sort of got introduced to the Coke and Bloodhounds, which is hunting the clean boot, which is hunting with bloodhounds. Um, but you basically spend your Sunday on horseback chasing men cross country, which sounds quite <laughs> cool, really. That's really funny. <laughs> so they, they, all, they all go off about half an hour before the bloodhounds and then the bloodhounds have to track them and they run the quarry as they're known are given directions of where to go turn left here go right there go along and all of the jumps are, are predestined so all you do when you head towards the hedge is just jump between the two bits of tissue paper and you know you're going to be okay and it, it, and you know Rudy would go well about six from the front because if the ones in front went he was like a Labrador after a ball he just went you know <laughs> um so yeah if the ones in the front went he went I don't think he'd ever be a master's horse because he would he'd be like oh everybody else but he was uh <laughs> He, you know if the one in the front went you went and I just had the best fun ever and it, it was completely brilliant the whole setup of that everything to do with it that yeah. sounds amazing what what happened to the runners when the bloodlines found them <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm yeah. just they get, get savaged no, <laughs> they actually have little bum bags to death. seriously they have bum bags <laughs> with biscuits in uh, and um, they just literally if you ever you google coke and bloodhounds you'll see nick and the team there and the, you'll see but they have bum bags with um, big dog biscuits in and they give them biscuits um, oh. and that's that's their awards if they catch them i'll catch it when they catch up with them i think there was one time where they all it all went a bit ping tong because some walkers had gone across across 
where the runners uh, the quarry had been <laughs> and there was a situation <laughs> where there was uh, some really scared footwalkers up a tree with braying bloodhounds beneath them going where's our biscuit oh, no. <laughs> it's like hands hand of the baskervilles isn't yeah, it don't, yeah, don't think, stray off the path yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think the bloodhounds that they have hope i've got this right across with dunfrisian um uh, cross with sort of uh, foxhounds of some description so they got they're not just pure they're like the heavy 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 bloodhounds mm. you'd see showing um but we, we did actually um, walk um puppy bloodhound puppies as well as foxhound puppies and it was it was very very interesting the difference mm. you know yeah so across of a, a sort of quite athletic and but with the bloodhound kind of yeah but i mean as we you um, if you're involved with hunt you walk puppies so you yeah. have them from when they're whelped to before they go into the packs they're just that teenage period for them yeah. they go off to individual homes and with with foxhounds they were very much something that's kept outside um very savvy very different mm. you know a hound whereas the bloodhounds we had that we walked they come in the car on the school run and, <laughs> um, it was very interesting because if you were walking cross country course a bloodhound would get to a log and you'd have to sort of teach it how well, the ones I had anyway, I don't know if I had some slightly less athletic ones, I don't know. But they, they, I found I used to have to sort of show them how to climb over logs and things. Whereas the foxhound uh, puppies I'd walked previously that just, phew, they knew yeah. that they knew it all. And they, and, and they tended to stay at home. They didn't tend to come out and about with us really. No. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing, that sounds brilliant. And, and so you've gone from um bloodhounding and going cross country with uh, with rudy and so on and we understand that you show she standard shetlands now yeah. so tell us about that the years are rolling by and my hunting jacket doesn't do up anymore by <laughs> by quite a, a little stretch and uh, i i certainly the days of going towards a big hedge of five bar gate um aren't on my radar anymore i'm just you know prefer not to hit the deck too much i used to bounce I don't bounce really anymore so um yeah I had a lovely colored horse called Percy that I got from Lynn Russell and with the intention of showing but somehow didn't happen then moved down to Cornwall and I thought he needed a companion rather than being on his own so I decided to get a companion that was something I could do something with so I got a standard Shetland um and just got the bug of showing standard Shetlands in hand um, and there's a lot more to it than you might think. Someone said, oh, you, you lead them around the ring, don't you? And it, it's if people are doing it well, it's it's not like that because you've got to get them in the ring and sort of get them between the leg and the hand on the lead brain as you're going around the ring. And yeah. there, there's quite when you what when you see people that do it well. Um, yeah, it's something quite good to watch. So uh, it's had, like it's like everything when someone does it really well it looks like they're not doing anything doesn't it and actually yeah. there's quite a lot has gone into that moment of of gracefulness yeah I guess I, I was very lucky to make friends with June Walters and Dave Hodgson their stud at Oakhampton and they gave me a huge amount of support and tuition and were very tolerant with me guiding me along and they they took me with them I had a mare that was covered by one of their stallions a few years ago and as a yearling, I took the foal to Royal Windsor. It was my first time I'd ever done Royal Windsor. And it was really purely because they said, oh, we're going, bring your bring your pony along. And I was like, oh, not really? And uh, off we went in this massive horse box. And uh, she did really well. And it was it was great. And it's 
it's just so fun to be part of it. Um, I've got a, a very good friend who is incredibly competitive and she's not first or second. It's a really bad day. And I'm, I'm just like really pleased if I get a rosette and I've had a good time. So I probably should be sharper comp <laughs> competition wise than I am. But, um, but then through the lockdown, it was very difficult to get to any shows. And I actually started riding again, not riding big, bold, brave stuff anymore. I'm too old for that. But um, just purely where I live is just so amazing. The roads, it's, it's just so beautiful here. We're out in the back of the sticks on the edge of the moor. You can go on the moor or the lanes have lovely verges that you, loads of space for riding. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. I mean, on an average sort of hour and a half ride, I might meet five cars, wow. possibly six cars, maybe with the old tractor. But so, and I started, and I thought, actually, I really enjoy this now because it used to be that hacking out was something that you had to do almost as a chore in order mm. to have your horse fit. Um, yeah. Whereas now I'm doing it for what I do for my pleasure in my, in my leasure. So I'm really, really enjoying it. And I've, I've found, as you mentioned earlier, Thomas, he's my, my equine sofa with four legs. Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> oh, so he's so what a, is he? he? He's a 15, I'm not quite sure what. Uh, coloured pipe coloured cob um but he's lovely because he's not on his forehand so he, he, he's got a really lovely chest and there's a leg in each corner and he's he's lovely and forward going but um he's just suits me fine where I'm at at the moment so we a friend of mine actually who's got a, a retired racehorse came down we had a week's holiday together last week Pony Club Camp, we called it for grown-ups. And we, we just spent the whole week riding out together and it was just completely brilliant fun. Uh, and that's he's just great for that sort of thing. He has done showing and things, but I, I, I'm not going to go off showing him. His feet are too big. I might get trodden on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds fabulous. I'm very tempted to go down the same line and find just, yeah, just something to have fun and enjoy without pressure. Yeah. Well, it's the same nice. so, many, so many hours in the day and... Uh, and it just as I say, it wasn't till sort of lockdown. I was like, God, I've got horses and I'm not doing anything. And then so I managed to get back on Thomas to go out again. And I thought, actually, I'm enjoying this. Mm. That's Brilliant. Be fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so what's been your most memorable horsey moment so far? It's been a lot. Oh, so many. I mean, I think sort of showing wise doing well at, at shows and you know if you if you have the privilege of getting a supreme champion or something like that which hasn't happened very often to me at all but it has happened with the young stock at Malvern and that um in our breed show and that was amazing uh just going to some of the county shows and just being part of it all and seeing all of the horses there then the commitment that judges stewards ring people you know everyone at these shows makes it's a phenomenal amount of work to get to get people to be able to be there to try and breed and produce horses and get them to perform to their best possible ability for their breed and discipline so I think those are sort of horse horsey highs really yeah being with like-minded people who who just all love showing and love their horses and, yeah yeah I mean, you know it, it's a real world you go to some shows and you think see things you think I've either got to go over and have a dust up with that, that person or get back in my lorry and sort of bite my tongue you see some you know things that do you know if someone's lunging a pony you think I don't think it should be lunging it that much or I don't know what but it, that it's the real world just like any yeah anything that you're doing it's not all sunshine and roses all the time and for a lot of people it's very very hard work but yeah there are really really big if, if you didn't enjoy it you know you wouldn't be doing it would you so 
it's, yeah. it's not cheap to do horses is it as I say oh, no. it's what we're doing for our pleasure and our leisure so yeah you've got to enjoy it and it's sometimes got to be overridingly fun isn't it eh? yeah and that it's good to, it's good to sort of check in with yourself occasionally and say is it is this fun and what do I need to change do I need a different horse like you say Heidi or yeah. uh, <laughs> for a different chapter yeah. Uh, yeah. get on every time and wonder where yeah. the rear is going to happen in the spin oh, hmm. no. or do I it's, just want to know it'll always be fine it's still, <laughs> I can so relate to that because oh many years ago again I had um, a horse on loan and uh, gosh his ability was amazing everything he did but then every now and then he would just do something really cranky like he'd be you'd be fine and then suddenly he'd stop and nap and it was really unpleasant napping and just strange behavior like that I think one time it's the first time actually I'd experienced being frightened of a horse I went into his field because his rug had come off and I went to pick the rug up and he just came towards me it was incredibly threatening I mean front foot went out full eye contact it was and I actually went back around the edge of the headland having left the rug holding two sticks in case he came towards me again I'd never felt like that in all my years with horses before and it turned out um at the end of it he was a rig so he's been gelded but it hadn't worked properly and when the vet explained it to me I was like oh that makes sense yeah because the rug had his scent on so it's like me going and presumably and taking a mare away from him Mm. as it were or taking something of his away from him and and so on so wow uh, there's always a reason isn't there there's always a reason I think that's the big message with everything we do is is thinking of outside the picture you're know, thinking outside of the scenario you're in seeing the wider picture and that it's not just one focus all the time of the different parts that we put towards good stable management and horses and equitation it's bringing all the units together mm-hmm. and being brave enough and bold enough just to look at yourself a lot as well yeah I think we can very easily think oh if I buy that this is going to happen because it cost 160 pounds or you know I've had lessons with so-and-so I'm going to be brilliant now Mm -hmm. or so what if I'm a bigger frame it doesn't matter you know that's Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable with my however but how does it affect the horse so I think it's 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 just the whole everything knocks into everything do you know what I mean that's what I think anyway yeah very much so so turning to your career now and you spent many, many years working in the equestrian industry. So you've run your own saddlery shop. Uh, you've worked as a saddle fitter and a lorinary consultant. But tell us how you first got into working with horses. Because like many people, just because you love horses doesn't mean you're going to work in the industry. So how did you get into it? Well, I think I just thought I wanted to work with horses. Um, but back Oh, it's such a long time ago, back in the <laughs> early 90s when I left, uh, no, early 80s, I beg your pardon, when I left school, the, the, a lot of the careers with horses were either being a vet or something like that, which wasn't going to be me, or it was sort of pushing a wheelbarrow around someone's yard all day and getting paid very little, but I couldn't see, there's nothing wrong with that to start off with, but I couldn't see a, a career structure to it, I couldn't see where, <clears throat> excuse me, that was going to go. So uh, it, it's, it, so much in my life is just, it's happened to me rather than me making it happen. At least that's what I think has happened. I don't know. But equally, they say doors open if you lean on them. So I think mm. if you look for opportunities and you think laterally, it does help. So cut the long story short, I, I used to take great pride in cleaning my tack. 
it was just one of those things that always got a thrill about looking at a saddle looking really really nice and really polished and everything absolutely beautiful and, and I took it into our local saddler for repair or something and he said oh you do clean tack well come and clean your tack for me at weekends I didn't really it was quite shy it's hard to believe but I was actually quite shy at one point and um my mother being my mother sort of gave me a dig in the back and said get on go in for it so I so I think when I was about 11 or 12 I used to go in to the saddlery at weekends and clean all the secondhand tack because unusually for for that time and perhaps even now this saddlery had lots of secondhand tack as well as new tack but the big thing about it was everything was stitched cleaned buckles were literally polished the whole and they it looked in show condition mm. And people will come for miles, A, to sell tack and B, to come and buy tack because he actually bought it. It was his, you know, it's not just in a heap in the corner of being sold on commission or something like that. Um, and that was really how I, how I started and being involved in doing that. Uh, I think it was 50p an hour, if I remember correctly. And he didn't know what to pay me. And someone said, oh, I pay my babysitter 50p an hour. And that's what I got paid. So. Um, and. Uh, it may even be 50p for three hours I really can't remember now but it wasn't very much but anyhow uh, but then I think in through that really we would see you get people would come in and obviously grandpa had passed away or something and there'd be a massive back box of tack that would be mm. have been in their attic and it would come in for me to basically go through sort through pick out things that would be viable to sort of use and so on and quite often uh, it's a shame you can't the listeners can't see this but I'm holding up a really beautiful oh, wow. Victorian little hacker bit of a double bridle and it would be hand forged and I just remember uh, as a sort of 12 year old picking this item up and thinking wow this is so many things it's obviously horses and equitation it's obviously metallurgy with the way it's been made and crafted and the hand forging skills it's social history um, and it's just so balanced and beautifully put together. I, I, it just something about it just struck a chord with me. And I just found that really, really interesting. And I found it really interesting ever since. So so that was that was fascinating. That was the trigger. And also, it is a shame that people can't see it. But um, perhaps if you can show it on the webinar you're, you're going to, to do in November. What I love about it, what I love about the Victorians is that they don't just make things that are functional, do they? Because it's actually got a, got a sort of a plant motif, hasn't it? A shell, is it a shell? Yeah, a shell motif. So they actually make mm. it functional and beautiful. Incredible. I think, I think it's a great uh, privilege of having something that's been beautifully handcrafted and has had a real bit of quality in it, or as one old Lorena used to say, a bit of taste. Mm. it's been a sort of passion put into it I mean even things I like like the curb hooks I mean those are so different from the then the, these are I'm showing curb hooks that are very very beautifully hand finished they will yeah. do what a curb hook should do it will just continue the line of the curb chain connecting it to the bit it won't be almost like some awkward coat hanger sticking out at all the wrong angles um, not functioning well I mean modern ones I much prefer the button curb hooks that you get nowadays but it just sort of it, yeah it's just lots of different things there so yeah so that sparked your your interest in in Lorinary um and then I mean, so yeah how did it progress from there um well I mean Lorinary we use the word saddlery all the time don't we mm. um so I suppose you'd have harness as in something you use for driving a horse um then you'd have saddlery which you normally 
um, your bridle, your sorry, your saddle, and that sort of thing. But then Lorenry is the terminology of Lorenry is all the metalwork for the horse. Okay. So it's everything metal for the horse except his shoe, the shoes on his feet, which of course are the area of the of the farrier. Um, and so it does sort of include bridles, really, because mm. uh, Lorenry is to do with the the bitting, the bridling of the horse, but. Mostly when we refer to Lauren nowadays, we're talking about bitting and bridling of the horse, but technically it, it comes from Lauren, which means, a, 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 as in a word, Latin word, the thong, which were the earliest forms of bridling was just a thong around the, Lauren, the lower jaw. And the connection with the Worshipful Company of Lauriners is that they are one of the hundred or so livery companies of the City of London, which were in their days, their version of beta, if you like, they were the yeah. trade groups for their particular craft. And I expect people have heard of the Sadler's Company, Farrier's Company, the Lorena's Company, um, and they, they are the ones. And so today, a lot of the people involved in that, their great, 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 great grandfathers might have been Lorena's, but they're not necessarily Lorena's or Sadler's Farrier's today. But that said, these uh, many of them may well be, and they are very connected in supporting their craft, the affairs of the city, and again, the welfare of the horse through education of the rider. Wow. So how how is bitting and bridling if we if we take it into I guess probably the more common um, parlance how has it developed over the years what are you what are you doing now and how are you working with people now compared to previously well I think my involvement of it for me personally has been very much when I had my saddlery which is a sort of full blown singing and dancing saddlery we had a saddlery workshop we had a team in the store all different departments but that I focus myself mostly on the actual going out and about saddle fitting um but the Laurenry side the bitting side we had it was just a thing that I really took an interest in and also giving advice and support to people when they came in so they didn't just come in buy a pair of leathers buy a saddle and, oh and I'll have a pell and bit we would if they wanted to engage in a conversation talking to them about the side in the way nowadays you, you would perhaps go online for a bit bank and have a chat with them and the wonderful services they offer uh bit banks bit libraries whatever online or or even if you went in store as well so it was it was doing that but doing that at a time when perhaps other people didn't so much mm. um, and just focusing that i think the big changes in in that side of the industry now are that bits <laughs> have had much more research put into them uh the there's much more detail of right this is the problem we've got or the challenge we want to find a bit for here's a design we'll produce it test it do some research and then produce it and you've you've got bits that are much much more focused because it's, it's too short a time to really go through the the line of of yeah. how bitting's changed but you've went from having bits that were hand forged like that mm -hmm. which meant within reason you could ask for whatever you wanted because it's an individual item being hand forged mm -hmm. to having um, bits predominantly cast which was would be very common in the victorian days even but um i think they went through a period in about the late 70s where really the last big big producers of horse bits in walsall england stopped and everything lots of lots of bits were produced in the far east and i think some of the design integrity lo got lost so what would have been a normal it, when single jointed snaffles were popular a shaped snaffle ended up being bit it still fulfilled that brief but natural fact perhaps wasn't being made by people that were really 
in touch with its end use do you see what mm. I mean yeah uh, and I think that the really exciting and positive change that we've got is that there are so many companies out manufacturers at the moment regardless of where the bit is actually made they, there's a lot of design research and knowledge going into the production of bits and that is supported very heavily by the information and with modern technology it's so much easier just you can just click on a computer go online you know click a website as it were and, and have a download explanation about something and from that the price point for it has gone up so it makes it more economically viable for people also with bridles I mean there are lots of bridles now that are between two 200 or 500 600 pounds maybe for bridle if it's a really good one um and I say good not just quality of manufacture but design and the thought and most importantly most importantly the fit of it on your on your horse because you have a brilliant anatomical bridle but if it doesn't fit your horse properly it's mm -hmm. not, it can't function as it's designed to just as with a saddle you can have fantastic saddle but I think we all know very easily that if it doesn't fit your horse properly it's not going to function as it should or be a benefit to horse or rider mm -hmm. so uh, I think it's made it more practical for people to go out bit and bridle fitting in the way that they I used to do with saddle fitting. And there are many people that are combining it with either saddle fitting or doing dentistry as well or other other spheres. But um, for me at that time, it was uh, mostly sort of in store advice and so on. And then I think it was my mother. I could have crowned her at the time, but I was still quite young. Uh, she said, oh, I volunteered you, dear, for giving a lecture to the local um, adult education group. We've got a VHS equine course or an equine course of some description running. And I was horrified. I'd have to get up and talk in front of people. And uh, anyway, I did it and I actually it went really well. And I thought, gosh, this is a real buzz because it's really just an extension of what I'm doing in store when you're talking about your products because a good retailer not only has their product but they've got all the information that goes with it and I mean many retailers one minute they'll be talking about Lauren Ree, next minute it's Saddlery, next minute it's Girths, next thing they're on to rugs then they're fitting riding hats and boots and oh can you tell me about spurs so to be a good equestrian retailer you, you really have to sort of know your stuff yeah. Um, and I think we owe all those good retailers a big debt of thanks because of the service that they're that they're giving that is a, an addition and very rarely charged for service in store um, for the support that they're giving, which yeah. is, again, as I say, long term benefits the horse yeah. if he gets Absolutely. the right tack used, used correctly. So, yeah, so that was it. So and then from that, really, the um, the sort of lecturing side and then. I started doing quite a lot of editorials. I think I've got an editorial in Horse and Hound this week. I've been to see it. I'm standing, <laughs> standing at the end of the drive, rather sadly waiting. I, I love, <laughs> see, my family aren't horsey. And I remember having a, a nice editorial some years ago in Horse and Hound. I was so thrilled. I left it on the kitchen table for everyone to see. And this is a kitchen table that I'm quite prissy about. People have to use mug mats on this kitchen table because it's, I don't know, it's stained. And I came in and later on I looked and a whopping great big mug had been put right in the middle of the editorial with a huge oh. ring mark. Like, oh. that, that's how interested my family are not. <laughs> Anything I might do with an equine editorial. But uh, yeah, and then um, got involved more with the Lauren's company, as I say, and did uh, for many years, I was their, their Lauren lecturer and projects manager. So teaching at Cape Manor College, where there's a two year full time salary course, I did the, the Lauren module and they're just various different projects, VHS and Pony Club and various different things mm -hmm. like that. So went from there and, and doing a course for Vita. So tell us a little bit more about 
Peter, um, and the work that you do with them. So, so first, maybe just a little bit about who they are, first of all, well, Peter, um, for Peter those that is, don't know. Peter is what it says in the tent. It's tin. It's the British Equestrian Trade Association. So it's a, a trade association for all equestrian businesses. Um, predominantly, they do tend to be either manufacturers or retailers. But that said, we have a wide membership, including equine agents, the people that, that go out for the manufacturers and suppliers, um, and also associate memberships. Uh, we're really there literally just to support the, the industry. We have a very large trade fair, which is at Stonely in September. So that's where all, your, all the retailers go to do their shopping so that they can bring things in store for you to come and select and it's really just helping support the industry in every which way that we can but sometimes the most horrible times are the strongest times for Peter such as way back if you remember foot and mouth um, Peter were there supporting with lots of information and again through Covid our executive director Claire Williams did a phenomenal amount of work for which she was quite rightly um rewarded and, and nominated with an award for doing that uh, in giving the, the correct information to our members where to go to get help and so on because you can get enormous amounts of information from the government but it's just pulling out the bits that are poignant to your business and knowing quite how to cope in those situations there's a lot of great information coming out of, of beta um what about your role what do you say specifically you're, so, you're doing yeah so, so with my role um as the lorry consultant really i've, I've um, pulled away from doing the face-to-face -face courses at the college now i think with covid i was shielding for quite a while for my husband so i think that wasn't such a comfortable environment for me to be in so i'm doing a, a lot of training and helping them develop their side with that and through COVID, as with many people, we started doing things online and it, to our surprise, has been gone really well and the people, that seems to be here to stay. So it's being involved in that. Uh, also predominantly uh, helping so to support the membership. So seeking new members, looking after members we have and generally helping with their training courses and our outreach and face-to-face -face scenarios in connection with Beta. No two days are the same. It's really, really so interesting. Super busy. And like you say, lots of variety there. So fabulous. It's, yeah. it's great because we have a, very often you get a, a, a contact uh, inquiring about, you know, what's beta, what do I do? Is it good for my business? And you'll, you'll get to hear about lots of businesses before they even actually press sort of the go button and go live with their product or what they're doing. And uh, it, it's, I can be in my office, but I feel like I've traveled around the country or sometimes around the world within one day when the different people we're talking to. Um, and I think my equine retailing background of sort of 20 something years has really helped me with the beta side, because if someone says, well, you wouldn't understand, you don't know about saddle fitting and go, well, actually, I really do understand. I know, I know the challenges you have. I know the challenges you have with staff. I know the highs, I know the lows. So, and, and uh, having to had appreciation of retailing a breadth of products not just the ones that you particularly specialize in yeah. and knowing and knowing what that's like Absolutely. So it, it's great it sounds, it sounds brilliant. And, and talking about highs actually. and lows yeah talk, yeah talking about how to, what's been the biggest challenge for you in your equestrian career so far and it's been quite broad isn't it you've done lots of different things biggest challenge oh. trying to fit everything into a day oh gosh <laughs> yeah when you find the answer let biggest, me know yeah. <laughs> but biggest challenges uh start early end late is the answer to that one um biggest challenge i think just trying to fit everything into the day very often um particularly when you're younger when you have family young family you know it's, it's like spinning plates you have yeah. to keep spinning each one and going back to it and so on 
uh, just yeah. mixing all the things. I think sometimes driving, you know, on a, on a day when I was doing beta, but with college the next day, I'd pack up here at about six, get in the car from Cornwall and drive to Enfield, London. Oh, blimey. Get there, check through my notes, get up, go into college, do the photocopying, set up, get ready for the students to come in to kick off to do four one hour 20 minute lectures and then drive back to Cornwall so that, that, that was you know that that's what I would call a pretty tiring yeah. day but you know, that wasn't every week you know but when it was it was quite but uh, yeah. yeah I think you know for retailers the challenges they face are you know you have so many customers that are amazing and actually become really good friends and you know them well and but it only takes one to really spoil your day mm. and I think for as a retailer it's very frustrating if stock isn't able to come in you know we've got huge the manufacturers and wholesalers have massive challenges out there at the minute with not only the brexit word but not only covid but just lots of different scenarios that are hitting the market at the moment so many that i can mention ukraine feed and so on and so forth so getting supply and when you want it as you want it isn't easy and the, not, the retailer wants nothing more than to have something to sell to you. Mm. Believe me, they yeah, don't absolutely. enjoy not having it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think those sort of challenges. And I think, um, yeah, so I think, think that's a challenge for, yeah. for, for our industry as well. I think, you know, some of the working out the costs of things will be a challenge. But I think in a way it will make everybody reprioritize as to what they really do do want don't want and I think a lot of people are completely passionate about horses really compassionate about going off to shows and things and that they will focus and prioritize find ways of making it happen even if they are say sharing a lorry with somebody else to save yeah. fuel or whatever it is and I think in a way it kind of makes us appreciate the things that we do have even more um, yeah and so you know maybe instead of getting several of something you might have one but get a really really good one yeah um, yeah Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds. It will, won't it? Absolutely. And I, I liked your, your reference to, to time there. I was invited, to, I've just been invited to a friend's big birthday party and her, her, um, her message was, please no presents unless you could give me 26 hour days and 62, 62 week years. Oh, <laughs> I know, I know. It, it can be very, one, one can be very guilty of um, confusing the important jobs for the urgent ones. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, particularly when you're in business you think oh yeah I mean sometimes when I listen to some of retailers I sort of go oh no or oh, I haven't managed to get to the bank today because I've been so busy I had to stitch these stripless with someone I'm like no the most important thing is paying your money in <laughs> but if, if you still have cash to pay into this day and age that is you know yeah, yeah, absolutely. So getting your priorities in order is very important totally totally right um and moving now to november so quite far in advance uh, a lot of 26 hour days between now and then and we are we're delighted that you're going to be sharing your knowledge and bitting in a webinar for us on the 17th of november that's going to be um can you share a few hints about what you're going to be covering in the session absolutely not going into detail just give us some tasters. some teasers but, yeah okay, well i think really i've thought about it and i'm, I'm hoping that the thing that would be of most use to people which which is the important thing about this is that it will be a horse owner's guide to better bidding better uh, i think just to sort of cover some of the points that we know but in a more bit more detail but also to perhaps cover the things that people might overlook or not think and just to try and think of an overall package of topics that people can go away with just to help them stand back and think about their bidding and bridling and how they can advance that and 
yeah do it successfully i hope yeah absolutely because i it's moved on so you know so much as like you say there's been so much more information knowledge about how bits work and so on and i think well people are probably a lot of people are probably like me that you you learn stuff at pony club or when you're getting into horses and then unless you sort of regularly read the horsey press you, your knowledge probably doesn't move on for quite a few years yet the industry has and i think it's going to be great just to mm. be able to understand a little bit more about some of the changes and some of the information that's you know, yeah. coming in recent research yeah i think i think you know just thinking about bit design and why it's like that and why one bit might be more appropriate for you over another and just simple things like getting the sizing right and the fitting right and the importance of a well-fitted bridle mm. because however good your tack is if it doesn't as I said before if it doesn't fit properly it can't <clears throat> function properly um and you can get somebody finding a bit and then they go well, actually I borrowed one of my friends and then it's half an inch too big or too small and you think that's not going to help you know yeah so I, I just think just thinking all of the different units put together uh, just touching on some of those i think is really where we're going to be yes yeah really looking forward to that definitely am now quick question uh, uh, we we always like to have a bit of a giggle with our in our ah. tribe podcast and you've already told us some funny stories along the way <laughs> but is there is there another funny story you can think about from your time working in the equestrian industry oh i think one of my big joys of the work that i've done is when you go out to people you go out to their actually to their home rather than just being in store and yeah. for me a lot of that has been through through saddle fitting as much as anything but uh just just the the human because you know back before we had sat navs and what three words and all of that you just go on directions and you get things like okay well you go along and then there's three oak trees and then my field's <laughs> the one with the blue and pink baler twine and you get to there and you think three oak trees blue and pink baler twine <laughs> you know and things like that <laughs> And, and, and uh, just going and seeing people and learning. I mean, I've, I'm sure most people feel it. I am learning all the time. I've been in this industry 40 something years, but I am still learning. I've still got so much more to learn. And just seeing different people, seeing their horses, how, how they work with them, uh, the environment they're in, uh, all of that just, is just complete addition to the package and, and can be very, very interesting the different ways of, of going about that absolutely uh love that three oak trees in the blue and pink baler twine yeah turn left uh, there's yeah. my horse and, and you've got there yes you got that and we'd love for you to pass on a relatable top tip for our horse tribe as well i'm sure you've got oodles of them but what would be one thing you'd you'd share with the horse tribe today i think really it's what i've touched on a lot through this podcast is just thinking slightly outside of the box don't fixate on one particular aspect of what you're doing think of all the other factors that contribute to it don't be afraid to get help and input you know get know when to ask for help so if you need your saddle checked get someone to come and do that likewise with the bit and bridle you you'd always routinely have your horse's feet done but make sure you have his teeth done too so just having everything together as a whole package rather than just individual all right I'm going to focus on this bit I've bought a new bit that's going to work boom and that's the answer because it's the whole thing together and even the top 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 riders go and get uh, tuition and help so definitely all of us should do too so 
that's where you can hook into beta uh, the beta website we've got listed all our members there you can click on the buttons to see what services and skills that they can offer you it's just at beta-uk.org or ring the office and uh, we will try and help put you in touch with one of our members that can give you all the support that you need fantastic and is that the best place for anyone to contact yourself is it through beta if they wanted to contact me certainly uh, either email me at trisha t-r-i-c-i-a at beta-uk.org or just ring the office on 01937587062 so i work for beta as i say they're only consultant and their field officer so if anybody wants to know or maybe someone out there is thinking gosh do you know i'd really like to learn to be a bit of bridle fitter i'd like to be a saddle fitter i'd like to get into the equestrian retailing industry our industry is so exciting at the minute because mm. yes we have bricks and mortar which people thoroughly enjoy and that's great and is very strong but we also have online and then very often we had blended as well and then that's not forgetting the different show units and mobile facilities that are available so you can there are so many careers within our industry that people can get involved in and if my experience is anything to go by i just couldn't recommend it highly enough oh recommendation thank you trisha and it's been fabulous speaking to you we've really enjoyed it and helping our listeners to get to know a little bit more about you as a person before hopefully they come along to the oh. webinar in november so thank you so much yeah well, it's it's been great i've loved it oh, oh. too. <laughs> yeah enjoy riding thomas down those beautiful wide country lanes and we'll see you very soon Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the Horse Tribe podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, rate and review the podcast and share it with your horse tribe. So keep tuning in for more episodes with elite riders, equestrian experts and special guests.